Friendship power flop. Friendship power flop. Let's go shonen flop. Let's go shonen flop. Hi, cat. <laughs> <laughs> Aw, kitty. Wow, we got four people on the podcast today. I love it. <laughs> hey, everyone. We wanted to start our episode thanking you all for your terrific support. We wouldn't be able to make the show without you. If you enjoyed today's episode, it would help us a ton if you could rate, review, subscribe, or even post about on social media. It lets us grow our audience, which lets us make more awesome episodes. Okay, now to get on to the show. Welcome to this episode of Shonen Flop, where we talk about manga series and Shonen Jump that didn't make it big. I'm David. I'm Jordan. And this week, we're talking about our blood oath, and we're joined by our guest today, Steven. Steven, please uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Hi, my name is Stephen Paul. I'm a uh, freelance translator from Japanese to English. Um, and in terms of uh, Shonen Jump, most people would know me as the uh, translator for One Piece, which I've been doing for about 10 years. But in more recent years, I've been uh, doing double duty on some other series, such as uh, Samurai 8, The Tale of Hachimaru. Ooh, we know about that one. I was going to say, yes, you guys may be familiar with these. <laughs> <laughs> also, Time Paradox Ghostwriter. Oh, I'm very familiar with that one. That's a good series. And uh, for the purposes of this recording, I guess, uh, our Blood Oath. It was funny. So I first got in contact with Steven where we talked about Time Paradox Ghostwriter. And then I was like, hey, would you like to be on the show? And he's like, yeah, sure. If our Blood Oath gets canceled. So every week I was like, is it getting canceled? Is it getting canceled? And as soon as our Blood Oath got canceled, I was like, oh, yeah, now we can finally have Steven on the show to talk about it. I feel really bad, though, because I have like friend who loves our Blood Oath. And I was like, sorry, your series got canceled. But now I get a really cool guest for the podcast. Am I your friend, David? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you read this in real time like she did. No, I didn't. But yeah, so Steven told us before we started recording that he knows what the One Piece is. Yes. And he won't be revealing it on the podcast. Yes, I can either confirm nor deny. Unless if we get <laughs> 10,000 listeners for this episode, Steven will violate numerous NDAs and tell us what the One Piece is. I can't back out now. <laughs> Speaking of translation in the series in general, why don't we move it to the manga details? So, Steven, I'd love if you could actually do the honor as someone who actually officially worked on the series. Sure. So, Our Blood Oath was uh, drawn by a, a rookie author. This is their first series, as far as I'm aware, named Kazu Kakazu. And uh, we don't really know anything about this author. I I'm not even sure what their what gender they are. Hmm. But uh, this was their first series, and it ran from September of 2020 to uh, the end of January 2021. Right off the bat, Kazu Kakazu kind of sounds like a pseudonym. I would guess so. Do you know if it like translates to anything interesting? No, it's it, uh, it was written in um, hiragana, which is basically just like phonetic. It doesn't have kanji. It doesn't have a meaning to it. It just kind of sounds cool. Yeah. If not, there's that Australian politician called Donald McDonald. <laughs> and he's got the uh, Japanese version of that name. Oh, weird. Kazuka Kazu translates to Alan Smithy? Huh. <laughs> there you go. The art of translation. Yeah. And then it was 18 chapters over two volumes. And I believe it was also based on a one shot. Were you also the translator for the one shot as well? I was not aware of that. Unless it's for, it's related to a an established series that they already put out. I don't think that English Shonen Jump puts out just regular one shots. I know it's like popular when they go to like the series, like they go to volumes and they need to fill volume. That's like one of their tactics mm -hmm. is mm. to do like the original pilot. 
Right, right. One shots usually get published in Jump in Japan when one of the series drops, like they they miss a chapter, and then they need something that they can plug in to to fill the pages. But um, yeah, I did not know that there was a one shot. That's interesting. It's like on like their official like Viz page, I think, or something. It's like based on the award winning one shot, and then there was like no links to where you could actually read it. So that makes <laughs> oh. sense. I mean, if we're being real, the first chapter is more or less a one shot. Yes. The series had a very interesting like approach that was a little bit not what I was expecting. But yeah, we'll definitely get into that when we start going into our thoughts on the series. Yeah. Speaking, though, of the plot, let's turn it to Jordan's always terrific plot summary. Shinoko and Hizuki are two vampire hunting brothers that were orphaned when a vampire killed their parents. Koa is the son of the now dead vampire king, and Shin is his adoptive older brother. They formed a blood oath of darkness, meaning that Ko can only drink from Shin's blood, but in return he gains immense powers. When vampires are starved of blood for long enough, they go feral, turning into berserk vampiric beasts, which are slaughtered and turned into crystals that are used to make weapons. After his little sister is kidnapped by the vampire shapeshifter Kyoka, Shin's friend and Izuki Nishiyama is forced to help her kidnapped Ko, but ends up teaming up with Shin to save both of their younger siblings instead. Shin threatens Kyoka and lets her go. She then meets up with the vampire Haiga and his master Kaina Agatsuki, who ordered her to go after Shin and Koa in the first place. Kaina kidnaps a vampire little girl named Kiri and traps her alone with her human friend Aki, causing Kiri to morph into a vampiric beast and feed on her friend, killing her. Haiga and Kaina approach the Hizukis at high school and fight, where Kaina reveals that he wants to use Koa's powers to dominate humanity and kill the Restrainers, human vampire hunters that murdered his family. Just when it seems like Koa and Shin are victorious, the Restrainers show up to kill them all, but Rengetsu, a powerful vampire who trained the Hizukis in the first place, appears to save them. Dragging them back to their mansion, Rengetsu then starves Kaina for three days as punishment against Shin's objections. Kaina escapes and begs the two brothers for blood, but then the little girl Kiri appears, having been brought by the two brothers to confront her captain. She gives Kaina blood because she knows the pain he's in and kind of apologize having clearly had a change of heart that's pretty much it that's kind of how it ends sounds about right there wasn't like that much plot which uh makes sense because it was only 18 chapters and like mm-hmm. three or four of them were more or less just setups unrelated little side stories to teach you about the world and the characters i remember we were having a conversation about like the dude who i actually thought was like a main character at the start of the series the the dude who was like the orphan and like his family was possessed by demons and they're like oh you never see him again and i was like oh whoops so like i just like took out his section from the character section yeah. which actually does happen sometimes i still get flashbacks from stealth symphony though which that series maybe introduced like an average of four or five characters per chapter yeah <laughs> yeah when I uh, work on these uh, these series, we put together uh, style sheets, list all the characters and all their attack names, the things that you would need to know going forward. And um, yeah, I distinctly remember, you know, Shin, protagonist, there's Ko, protagonist, Shino, protagonist, like he's the human guy. And uh, and then I had to go back like several chapters later when I was like, wait, that guy just completely disappeared. He is, n- <laughs> he does not exist yeah. after chapter one. It's true. <laughs> They, like, put so much effort into talking about the perils of their life and him. And like, oh, he's clearly, you know, like, the normal person parallel that's, like, you know, really comedy series. And you're like, oh, no, he just doesn't ever show up again. And I, I actually, I felt a little hurt. I felt bamboozled, to be honest. I, I was okay with it. I, I feel like that kind of told me that this is sectioned or uh, set up almost like a, a Western or something where it's like yeah, each episode is just kind of here's another story in this setting. Here's another story in this place. I didn't mind that as much because I 
kind of felt like his story was wrapped up in the first chapter. Mm-hmm. He served as a way to gain exposition and insight into the Hezekis and their situation without just having a section where the Hezekis are just like, hey, everybody, so here's what's up. So my family is like this, and this is my adopted brother, and blah, blah, blah. Instead, it was just like, here's an outsider, and he's figuring out what they're like. So you're saying this is like the Mandalorian of Vampire Shonen Jump series. I wouldn't say it's that bad. <laughs> whoa, whoa, you don't like the Mandalorian? Dan would fight you. We had someone <laughs> whose recommendation was don't read this manga, watch the Mandalorian <laughs> instead. <laughs> No, the Mandalorian's good. I'm just kidding. Dan was a great guest. Yeah. So getting into the characters, I'll kick things off talking about the older brother, Hizuki Shin. He is actually a human, as Jordan talked about. He's made a partner with his younger brother. He's regarded for how he's very nice, very handsome. He has like special gloves that he uses to fight these monsters. And overall, really nice guy, main protagonist of the series. Well... The question of uh, main protagonist is a little bit fuzzy here because there's really two. Like, Shin and Ko are kind of more of a unit than they are just, like, individual characters. Mm-hmm. You know what What dynamic this reminded me of today? Seto Kaiba and Mokuba. Except if Seto Kaiba was actually a really nice guy instead of the most hilariously douchey guy ever written. <laughs> In a fun way. I love, Sky- love Seto Kaiba. But the thing about Shin is that he's very nice and there's, like, this... This creepy little implication that he was adopted by the King of Vampires to be the older brother to Ko, who is the heir to, to the Vampire Throne, more or less. And there's a moment where Ko hears two maids talking about how the Vampire King actually abducted Shin to use him as just as a blood supply for Ko, which is literally what happens. That's what he is. But it's like, it presents this in a way that makes you realize, oh, this is, like, sinister, actually, what's going on. Mm -hmm. Shin is frequently portrayed as somebody who might be too nice for his own good. Like, he lets go of an evil, shape-shifting vampire who then leaves to basically get her boss to come and attack them. Yeah, he was definitely way too nice. It was, like, kind of like a Goku letting Vegeta go moment. Yeah, but I also feel like that was kind of the point is the difference there. In Dragon Ball Z, it's stupid. And you're saying it's not stupid here i am because the author's like aware and that becomes sort of a theme when is striking back okay is it ever okay so i'm actually kind of okay with it Mm, all right jordan would you like to go into detail though on his little bro as you've already started talking about he's a key call he's his little brother he's like i don't know would you guys say like eight nine roughly yeah i didn't mention it because the fighting isn't like super important actually to the plot but one of the big things is that ko can use his older brother's blood to turn it into a giant scythe and he basically winds up being the main fighter in the series yeah which was an interesting twist for sure yeah Mm -hmm. he is the heir to the throne of the king of vampires and he is believed to be destined to rule over humanity or or vampires i suppose (laughs) yeah that is one of the questions they bring up is just like the human vampire relationship and it's something i really wish they had played around with a little bit more than they did i mean they didn't have too much time unfortunately yeah you get the sense that like the story thrust of the relationship of these two is that they're dependent on each other and the vampire side seems to think like okay yes we need to raise this uh you know ko the younger brother to be you know because he is the heir or whatever he has the rightful rule over whatever sort of vampire structure they have but 
their bond that crosses over these species lines, you know, that's going to be the thing that he uses against that structure to say, no, we need coexistence and um, that we should not be ruling over them, etc. Coexist. I knew you were going to make that joke. I knew it. <laughs> that exact joke. When he said that, I was like, oh, should I say coexistence? No, David will probably say it. 100%. You can always rely on me. If there's a pun, I'll say it. It's uh, one of the rules of the show. And Jordan will always think it's a terrible pun. When you make a good pun, I won't think it's terrible. I'm just saying. It's a numbers game, just like any art, art form. <laughs> you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Michael Scott. So anyway, Stephen, would you like to talk about, I would say, probably the most notable like normal human in the series, Izuki? That is true. Yes. Izuki Nishiyama is introduced as like a sort of rival character, I guess, to Shin. If Shin is like the guy who is like secretly hot and he doesn't know it, Izuki is the guy who is hot and he definitely <laughs> knows it. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great way of putting it. <laughs> he has a strong rivalry with them. And the funny thing is, this kind of goes to show the relative lack of depth of characterization in this series, which is that once you get past the first two brothers, I really have a hard time remembering details about the other characters. Absolutely. <laughs> He's a character for like three or four chapters, basically. Right. So he actually tries to kill uh, Shin. He stabs him. Yeah, he stabs him. He's actually kind of blackmailed into doing it by this like shape-shifting vampire who transforms into Mizuki. Izuki and Mizuki, you get it? You get it? The the brother and sister? Yeah, yeah. She transforms into his little sister and kidnaps her. Uh, It's the first time people are kidnapped, and it is far from the last time. Mm -hmm. It's basically the the main method of attack, more or less. (laughs) Kidnap no jutsu. (laughs) Yeah, more or less. Did we read another series where people kept getting kidnapped? Oh, uh, Neolation. Yes, but like it's even more so here because it's the same kind of kidnapping. Yeah. They're actually put in like the same room the first time. (laughs) (laughs) My God, Neolation, that was a time. Yeah. The next character is Alice, where speaking of repeats, if I had a nickel for every time we've covered a canceled Shonen Jump series that had a vampire named Alice, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it's happened twice. Like Stephen told us before, Japanese people just really absolutely adore the name Alice for... I think it was because of just how infamous the story Alice in Wonderland is, but also it is an extremely easy name for Japanese speakers to say that's from the Western world. Mm-hmm. While Alice isn't traditionally a vampire name, it is a goth name, partly because of Alice in Wonderland. And vampires are also absolutely a goth thing. So as a result, I think that's why there's a lot of vampires who are goths. Because it isn't just Japanese vampires. There's a lot of like vampires in American culture named Alice. I think there's one in Twilight. I have never seen Twilight. I saw the actually we saw the riff tracks of Twilight together, but that's as close as I've gotten to seeing Twilight properly. Steven, have you have you <laughs> seen Twilight? My wife had a Twilight phase when it was out and she rewatched the movies a little while ago. So I like caught little bits and pieces of it here and there. I saw this scene with the the crazy like CG baby that's really creepy. That's about all I know. Oh, I didn't even get to that movie. I want to watch Twilight once Kristen Stewart remakes it with her playing both parts because I think she really could be up for it. The Twilight All Kristen Stewart edition. So Kristen Stewart, let's get in touch, okay? Kristen Stewart, come on the show. Love to have you on. Jordan and I have like a list of like famous people that like anime that one day we'll try and have on the show. We're like Eric Andre, <laughs> Michael B. Jordan, Emily Rudd. We're like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, Michael B. Jordan loves Dragon Ball Z. He'll come come talk about anime for two hours on our show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
We're waiting for a famous person to talk about um, zombie powder. I like you see famous person. We've said it. We just want Super Eyepatch Wolf to come on the show because he talks about bleach all the time. So he would literally be the perfect person to talk about zombie powder. <laughs> not a secret, Jordan. I know. I'm not saying it's a secret. I'm just saying. Okay. What were the two manga that had a vampire named Alice? Was it Stealth Symphony? Yeah. And what was the other one? This one. Oh. Or was I'd have three nickels, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> where were we? We were talking about Alice? <laughs> She doesn't not matter. She kind of is, like, the only supporting character outside of, like, the main little cast that shows up more than once. And she kind of shows up to just kind of talk about how, like, the reason why a lot of vampires hate humans is actually because of some really bad shit that humans did. Yeah. She's the character in Resident Evil that you buy the items from. The merchant. What are you buying? (laughs) What are you selling? Yes. Oh, boy, that for a high price. And also she looks like a little girl, even though she's hundreds of years old. She's Biscuit from Hunter Hunter. Yes, yes. Yeah. Or she's uh Kazuki Urahara from Bleach with the just having like this random person owning a store that's like their source of information and like items and stuff. You mean Kiske? Sure. I can't pronounce words very well, Steven, so uh I really <laughs> would try my best. That's okay. Last week we read something zoo omega docky zoo and i just called it ozu because i was like that's a lost cause i'm not gonna be able to say that <laughs> steven do you have some thoughts on omega docky zoo uh, i never read that one the first time i had read it was a uh, read his, his work was um barrage oh you mean bulge of the warring planets yes bulge yes yeah <laughs> were you there for that conversation because like we were talking about this and that was like a big mystery is like what's the deal with that series title because there's like a few different ways you could translate it i think they just didn't want to call it bulge in in English. Uh, <laughs> it's not a word that has very pleasant connotations. So uh, yeah, I think that was the, the closest thing they could come up with that felt in the ballpark. That's a mystery we finally had resolved that it really was called bulge and they were like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we'll submit an update for the Barrage episode. But to get back to it, next one is Kane Akatsuki. He is the closest thing to, like, I guess, the main villain of the series, even though he's in here for like three chapters. He is an evil vampire. He's one of the other main royal families. He's just like an asshole. Like, he has like an assistant who like asks him a question. He's like, oh, that's a stupid question. He like stabs him. But he's a vampire so like he doesn't die, but it was still like, he's just being very rude, you know? That's just to show what a badass he is. Exactly. <laughs> it happens a lot in anime and manga where it's just like, yo, this guy's fucked up. This guy like in enjoys hurting people that's fucking crazy normal people don't attack their friends that's how we can show he's evil Mm -hmm. yeah and he also like smiles all the time at first there's actually like a moment when he stops smiling and starts having actual human emotions and that's when he thinks he's about to lose to uh ko but we also do have to talk about his servant uh haiga i was really confused when i saw that you pronounce his name kaina because it looks like it's pronounced Mm -hmm. kane but Mm -hmm. then i realized oh kaina and haiga okay i get it there's a rhythm I think this author likes to do that, like, because it was that was also the Mizuki Izuki thing. Yeah. There's definitely patterns with the names that they were playing around with. From like an entire perspective, is there anything that was like super hard for you to translate where you were like, ah, oh, fuck, how do I handle this in this series? I'm sure One Piece, there's a lot of those moments. Usually with, with newer series, it's more like you're kind of trying to anticipate like where creatively speaking, like in terms of what kind of wordplay and, and stuff like that and like the terminology that they're going to use, like where is this likely to be going? And therefore, like, how do I not just, you know, write myself 
into a dead end where all of a sudden it turns out this really complicated thing I came up with is like a pattern with 10 different variations and, you know, there's no way to do it. So (laughs) God, (laughs) there wasn't enough content in this manga to really run up against that kind of trouble. I will say, I forget if I worked it into the text or not, but once you get to this character, Kaine, and you start to learn more about like, there's like these different vampire families or clans or something. It's ironic because uh, it's actually very similar to what I've been going through with One Piece in the latest arc, which is that for some reason they decided for my story, I'm going to create a bunch of clans and they're all going to have the word moon in their name, the kanji for moon. And in fact, one of them, it wasn't the same kanji, but it was pronounced exactly the same way. Kozuki, which is like the the hero clan in One Piece. (laughs) So I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like you couldn't pick a different... But uh, they were all like different variations on the color red. I I think I was using like vermilion moon and scarlet moon. And I was like, you know, oh boy, if this keeps going, there's going to be a lot of different, you know, variations on uh, on the color red to to deal with. I would say that the the names were fairly creative as far as the the series as a whole went. That's really interesting. I know actually English is like considered like a highlight because we have so many words for the same things. Like I think it's like English is unique of how many words we have for like the undead, how we have like zombie, ghoul, ghost, wraith, Magic the Gathering, they're like in French, they have maybe two or three words that, or maybe it's Japanese, but they only have two or three words for different types of undead and they just have to keep recycling them because English just has so many different terms for these kinds of spirits or undead monsters. Mm. Coming back to this manga, Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. They're not really vampires. They are more like blood demons. And then speaking, though, of blood demons, why don't we get into the, I think, the last notable character of this series, Rengetsu. So would anyone like to talk about him? Sure, I'll take this one. He's like the only adult that we actually get introduced to (laughs) in this series. Yes! (laughs) It comes at the very end, and he kind of has a a bit of a like a butler vibe. He's kind of a caretaker to uh, Shin and Ko, and it turns out that there is a family connection because he is, uh, what was it? He's their uncle. So the untold story that we don't really get very much of is that he was the brother of Ko's father, even though we don't see him until the very end of the story. Um, he's the one who's been kind of uh, watching over them at this uh, mansion. And he seems like a, you know, a sort of paternal type of figure. But then you find out that he's actually a lot more sinister than that, because in order to punish uh, Kaine for being such a jerk to the kids, uh, he uh, decides to lock him in like this basement. The punishment room, yeah. Yes. Keep him there for however long it takes for him to, you know, go feral, essentially, and um, seems a lot more menacing after that. It winds up being a really interesting moment because I touched on it in the plot summary, but basically what happened was kind of, he's trying to basically get Ko to realize that he has to stop helping humans and then join, join the vampires to try and defeat humans. And so what he does is he kidnaps this little vampire girl and her friend who's a human and he starves her until she basically kills her friend. And it's actually like a really effective moment, I think. Mm -hmm. Rangetsu says, uh, hey, you starve another vampire you starved your own kind for three days until they went crazy so i'm gonna do the same thing to you mm-hmm. and shin is like no don't do that but ko is like yeah no i don't want to save him screw that guy i feel like ko has definitely the most interesting morality in the series where he's just not like this generic like naive kid he's like you were a pretty terrible person you deserve to be tortured more or less he has the bluntness of a child he hasn't learned the lessons of mercy i guess mm-hmm 
There is one more character that I would really like to touch on, and he's not really a character we meet, but it's Alfred, who is kind of the first vampire, they say. And there's a very good chance that if this series kept going, Alfred would have been the, the main bad guy. And actually, at the very end, there's a little bit of a twist where Rangetsu looks at a picture of him and the person that he calls a brother, but the brother is Alfred. Alfred killed Shininko's parents and actually saved Kaina and Haiga, so he is actually kind of the overall person pulling the strings behind everything here. Which is a good point. Speaking of good points, Steven, why don't you start us off with things that you think the series could have done better? I feel like it would be a little bit boring to just say like the overall execution. I feel like it's kind of weak <laughs> in a variety of ways. But for me, the thing that I found frustrating about it was that it feels like there's very little story momentum to it. Mm -hmm. It starts very slow and it kind of feels like it's resetting itself every consecutive chapter or two chapters or so. And it really takes a long time before it starts to build, you know, what feels like a plot-based story construction, like telling this larger story of the vampire clans and like what the stakes are, who's important and who's not. It really doesn't do that until it's, you know, until it was already ending, essentially. Why are you even bringing this up now? This is the last chapter of the series. That for me was was a big, a big thing compared to other uh, series that I've seen, uh, you know, flame out in a similar amount of time. I completely agree. I'm going to go into what I would have done, but there's just such a lack of focus. Like I am seven chapters in and I still have no idea what the point of this series is. It's kind of something that a lot of shonen use as a device is to have like an overarching goal for their characters. And I guess they kind of had one with that weird white haired vampire guy, but it doesn't go anywhere. I just kept feeling like my time was being wasted because mm. I would learn about a character and then they never show up again. Like we talked about the guy from the first chapter, even later on, it's just kind of frustrating frustrated me because I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to care about while I read this series. There's one thing that they definitely want you to care about, but it seemed like that was kind of the only thing, which is the, you know, the relationship between the two brothers. Yeah, that is true. It, it takes them a little bit to build up. But I mean, again, I'm, I'm kind of more OK with it. I like the chapters that are build up. I really like that intro, that first chapter. I, I like the one where they explain how they live by just having this little kid break into their house and explore around. I thought that was kind of interesting. And then you get to see how reacts to a kid even younger than he is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're good things, but it just feels like those are things that you should be doing in chapter like 25 or something after yeah. you've established a lot more of what's going to keep hooking people to the story. Mm, that's a good point. Some of this stuff was like really in a weird order. Like I thought it was kind of weird that they finally get like a breeder representation like in chapter seven, which isn't that far, but it's still like that's more of a chapter one or two to have someone that actually things can be explained to and represents where the reader is because mm -hmm. we can't associate with these supernatural main characters. That is definitely a big issue, like with the pacing, the order of stuff. I feel like the author didn't really figure out where he wanted to go until about chapter four or five. Like in the first chapter, there's this really creepy, unsettling moment where the character we're kind of following for that chapter, his whole family gets um, kind of uh, possessed and mm -hmm. turned against him. And they just start ignoring him as if he isn't even there. And there's this one panel where they just all look at him. It's really creepy face. And that possession aspect doesn't come up again. Mm -hmm. And that was actually a really cool scene that I'll get into once we go on. And then in terms of the art, I want to say I don't think I've had a manga series 
where I had so much trouble telling characters apart before. Yeah. Like, there was, like, three or four brunette female characters that I had to remind myself were separate characters, which, by the fact that they keep dropping characters, yeah. added to it. So I really struggled to even tell who they were, oh, especially because they actually did this weird thing where they introduced some characters by their first name, and then they called them by their last name independently. And because of this, I didn't realize they were the full characters until I entered, like, their name on the wiki and made sure that was that character's full name, because I honestly didn't know if that was two separate characters. There's a big problem with the character, not just the character like art and design, but also the character variety. I thought that Kaine, most of the first chapter, I think it wasn't until I went back and like did a double check that I realized Kaine was supposed to be a boy. I thought he was a girl at first because he looked so similar to the other evil vampire character uh, from the previous story. And, you know, like I said, they only have one adult character at the very end. So it's all these teenagers who are all wearing, you know, high school uniforms. It's hard to distinguish your cast if that's what you're working with. Exactly. I think it's safe to admit this since this, you know, the series is over and I don't think it's going to go anywhere. <laughs> we get these three chapter chunks of each series. The um, artists and the editors in Japan working with Shueisha are like submitting these ideas to hopefully get into Shonen Jump. Mm-hmm. So I get to see like the drafts and it helps me decide too, like, do I want to do this one or not? Or do I want to wait until the next set of series starts? And from what I remember, the first chapter was essentially exactly the same like I remember seeing the you know the crazy sheep and stuff like that but the second and third chapters were completely different like they introduced the Rangetsu the 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 guardian the adult guy and this mansion like in the second chapter it was like basically like okay chapter one's over now we're going back home here's this mansion that we live at and like in chapter three I think it introduced a character who who looked similar to Alice like she was like a blonde girl but who was a student at the school and like the first thing you see of her is is like they have a, a little like school project thing outside the back near the garden area where they have like a rabbit hutch sort of thing. And she's like hanging out in this rabbit hutch, just like covered in rabbits, like in a state of bliss. And then she gets really embarrassed that they saw her doing that because she's like, you know, has a lot more pride than that. And I was like, wow, like what happened to these characters? This was interesting. There was a, a variety in the cast and I don't know what notes they got or what commentary they had that caused them to completely change around this order of stuff the first couple chapters that they actually put together it really didn't grab you the same way that's a shame to hear i feel like the author had to think he was going to have a lot more time i mean 18 chapters is like nothing even for canceled shonen jump bank i think they learn with the editor like here's the basic necessities that you need to do even if it gets axed you still are telling like a, a functional story i have to assume that maybe the feedback they got was that the sheen and co relationship wasn't underlined enough and then you know disregarded too much of the you know the rest of the story that to fill it out that sounds like that'll be really good material for what could have happened though also while i have you one thing so this is what i've heard and i don't know if you can give me insight is it true that generally you don't know how you're doing for the first like eight or so chapters and and that's when the writer starts understanding how popular they are. And then it's like they get cut and then they say you have three chapters to wrap things up. It does take a while for them to tabulate all of the um, like the survey results that mm-hmm. they get mailed in. So that's why they have this you know big window. I'm sure that they know pretty soon, you know, like if something is a hit or not. And if 
if it's not, you know, that's not necessarily a surprise. It's not necessarily an emergency, but there's a pattern that develops. I think they tell the authors like the final tally, probably like you said, several chapters in for no other reason than to just keep them not thinking about it too much. Like just focus on, you know, drawing the manga and doing your best. And then we can worry about that later in terms of like when they know what they're going to take out, maybe like a month or two before they, you know, the seasonal like switch where they start cutting series and then they bring in the new ones. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of um, an advanced warning, I would say. There was a lot of hearsay about that. So that's great to get some like direct insight. I also felt like just Shin was really inconsistently treated. Like they say he's a normal human sometimes, but then he's doing things that are clearly superhuman when he's fighting some of the monsters. And so it really diluted this whole partnership when you see him doing too much by himself in some scene. Like he shrugs off getting stabbed. Yeah, I mean, an issue with this series is kind of that it doesn't explain the powers very well. It doesn't really go into it too much. The powers kind of take a back seat. You can cut the fighting out of most of the manga, honestly. That's really not the point of the story that the author wants to tell. Like, to give an example, the Nen system in Hunter x Hunter is great, not because it lets you do cool things, which is part of it, but it's great because it means that, like, when a character creates something, that tells you something about the character that they are. I don't know what a giant scythe tells me about Ko. I don't know what a sword tells me about Kaido. There's just a general, I would say, like, a general kind of lack of enthusiasm, like, creative enthusiasm for it. Like, it didn't feel like it was something that the author had really like come up with a bunch of cool ideas couldn't wait to show off these things it's hard to compare other series to the hunter hunter and in uh yoshihiro tagashi's like creative style because he's just a madman but like that's a series where like he just has ideas flowing out of every pore of his body Mm -hmm. this is like the opposite you don't really get that sense that like there's a lot of cool ideas percolating between uh, beneath the surface it's just kind of like well here's a thing what about this (laughs) yeah the reason why I bring up the Hunter Hunter thing is because it has a similar kind of approach to morality I feel that Hunter Hunter has. Specifically Shin, I'm kind of okay with his naivete because there's a lot of implications that he's wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hunter Hunter would do something similarly to that. Obviously, this is not as good as Hunter Hunter. You know, obviously not at all, but you know. <laughs> yeah, and then the last thing I want to say is negative is also just to go back to art. One thing I noticed that doesn't have to do with the direct drawing itself, but I noticed the series is very gray tone to the point where characters kind of get merged with the backgrounds like you'll just see there wasn't like a lot of variety in the shading and Mm. sometimes like i wouldn't even notice a character was in the scene because it was all just completely gray Hmm. interesting there's like one scene where he's walking like down the street and everything including the main character is gray and it just looks like a like a gray block on the page i don't know if i know this it's okay jordan you don't you don't have an eye for art like me yeah i don't have an eye for art me with my degree from an art school uh david you know more about <laughs> yeah. it than me <laughs> jordan also drew the logo for the series yeah. for shonen flop for our blood oath no <laughs> <laughs> yeah jordan actually also worked on our blood oath but he just wanted to really not kill steven's vibe <laughs> i'm actually the author that that is my pseudonym so this is like hurting me a lot why you've been talking so much about how much you love this series because you made it <laughs> yeah jordan take it away what were some things about our blood oath that you thought it did really well I think the series really takes like uh, an interesting point of view with concepts of violence and concepts of uh, revenge and stuff like that. I mean, like the basic premise is that like this ancient race of vampires, you know, they're vampires, you know, they feed on blood, but like a lot of their reactions are to think atrocities that humans have committed on them. It actually reminds me a lot of X-Men mm. with like Magneto and, you know, 
Professor X between the two sides here. I think it's really interesting. I'm so used to shonen manga just being like, oh, I'm the protagonist, I'm good, and all the actions I do are great because I'm young and strong and, like, powerful and stuff. And my heart is pure and I'm full of passion. There's so There was something refreshing about this. This manga is also kind of understated, which I think you guys were picking up on when you talk about um, how the art doesn't look like too filled in or something like that. Mm-hmm. I really like how panels are set up and I feel like there's some interesting subtlety that sometimes backfires because it leads to you missing some stuff. Also, the reason why I like the first couple chapters so much is that it kind of tells a lot of its story visually. Like, mm-hmm. the second chapter where they're running through their house, you don't really have these moments where there's just, like, a box that goes, Ko and Shin live in a mansion, and this mansion is blah 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 up in the mountains or something. It's all told through dialogue, which I really appreciated. I thought was done very well. Mm-hmm. I also like how something else that probably was going to happen was Shin gives Ko a, what they call a fork-tailed cat, which is, I believe, a cat with two tails. There's, like, one panel that just fascinated, and I, and I like, loved it, just, just for how subtle and quick it was, where Kaina says, uh, oh, I left them my calling card, and you, the reader, are like, well, he just left them a ransom note, so that's what he's talking about, but Haiga says, oh, you mean that little fork-tailed cat? Which suddenly was like, wait, holy shit, is that cat, like, planted by Kaina? But the series ends before anything happens with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, whatever. <laughs> Do you guys have other things to say that are good about the series? <laughs> <laughs> Jordan spoke his piece. He stands this series like nobody's business. Yeah, I stand the fuck out of it. Sure, yeah, David. Yeah, I'm going to just call Jordan Stan for the rest of this episode. So as Stan was saying, I think Shut the, the art up. had really good composition. <laughs> Actually, this really reminds me a lot of Beachy in that, sure, the art on a technical level is the most beautiful, but there was a lot of deliberate thought put into stuff like the paneling structuring, the actual composition of the panels, which even in some better series, you don't see. Like, I would say Micro Academia is technically very well drawn, but there's not a lot of, I would say, like Hollywood style creativity in how the panels are aligned or what they represent that this series actually toyed with a good deal. You know what it is? It's the reason why I have like nothing bad to say about Chainsaw yeah. because of the creativity. Like there are some scenes here where we were shitting on the fact that like all the characters have similar hair, which yeah, that's understandable. It gets a little confusing, but there's like this interesting moment where Show threatens Kyoka, the shape-shifting vampire, and Show gets really close and their hair kind of merges together and you just see like Kyoka's eyes in fear and you just see like Shin's mouth as he says it and I just thought that was like a really effective cool way of composing that shot yeah yeah, I think it's easy to overlook because there's like a very nurturing vibe to like, you know, the main relationship between the two brothers, but the artist is actually pretty good. There's several examples and not too many, but I think they could have maybe put in a few more of like really sort of like surprising and a little bit shocking art. The human guy from chapter one who comes across the sheep monster that's like eating a cat that it found in the bushes or something like that. And it's just like, oh my God, that came out of nowhere. Oh my God. His family in the first scene creepily turn their heads. It's so good. The one where the two girls, like she's gone and she's, you know, bitten the other one. It's really creepy. It just didn't build up enough on that because I think there were some really good moments in that sense. 
Yeah, the scene you're talking about, it's so good where you walk in and at first you see like these two little girls huddled together and you think they're totally okay. And then you get like a better look and like the human girl, like her eyes move in weird directions and she's covered in blood. And the vampire girl has like shapeshifted a little into a beast. It's like terrifying and heartbreaking. It's a really good moment. It might be like the best moment. Mm-hmm. I was thinking more in the first chapter when the dude comes into his house and they all just look at him really creepily. Yeah, that's the part that made me realize, oh, hey, I might like this man, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Another great moment, which is using that girl, uh, Kiri, the vampire girl from Who Got Mort. At the very end, Kaina is starving and it's horrible and she comes in and gives him blood. And it it was actually like a very emotionally kind of powerful moment. Mm Mm-hmm. I really did appreciate the series had like a lot of really nice little touches. Just speaking of drinking blood, how the little girl had to take a thermos of blood with her to like kindergarten or whatever. And I thought that was just like a cute little detail that a lot of series wouldn't have had a touch like that. So Mm. sad. She attacked her friend because she forgot her blood thermos at home. It's tough being a vampire, you know? For me, like the the centerpiece of the, the series is the relationship between the two brothers, which I think is a, a really strong, like central character dynamic, specifically because the older brother is the human and the younger brother is, is the vampire. So it's set up so that the younger brother is the one with like the power to fight off the, the monsters, essentially. And the older brother is the one who is like kind of mentally protecting the the other one and is like nurturing him and looking out for him to have one of your two main characters in a in a shonen series be like an eight-year-old kid i think is really rare and it makes sense because like your primary audience is basically like 12 to 15 year old what you're sculpting your your story towards like the lesson is always avoid the age group that is just before the one that you because that's what they just grew out of and they don't want to see that anymore so it's really rare to see like a kid, you know, going through little kid problems and having to be sort of shepherded through them by the older brother. And I, I really liked that aspect of it, especially because coming to it as a translator, I didn't have huge expectations uh, going in. But one of the nice things about working on, uh, especially in translation between Japanese and English, they're very different languages, uh, like structurally, grammatically. They're also contextually very different. Japanese is high context in American English in particular is very low context. So translating, you have to fill in a lot of empty space and gaps and things. So even more than other, like between Spanish and English, let's say, the translator has a huge influence over how it goes. And so in order to be good at like writing dialogue in and capturing sort of the feel of a series, you have to be a bit of like an empath, like you have to kind of come to it in a very open state. Like, what is the thing that the author is trying to get across here? Like, what's this line of dialogue? What's like the emotional value of it? Like, what's the strength of that emotion? What is it going for? You have to really pick up on those things and then bring them out. I really enjoyed that aspect of the of the series was that it was a very wholesome bond between the two main characters, which made up for a lot of the, you know, the more tedious stuff that was not so memorable. I totally agree. I, I think their relationship was absolutely a, a strength. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say there was like no conflict totally, but it was like at the end of the day, you can tell that they still loved each other. Mm-hmm. They still relied on each other. 
like, there was the thing where it's sort of implied that maybe Ko's dad actually had way more sinister intents with how he adopted Shin. I really liked that, but I also liked it because Ko didn't care. Right. Like, regardless of his father's sinister intents, Ko was completely innocent. Mm -hmm. And I also just really liked how the series decided, you know what? We don't really need to answer that question. We're cool with just kind of implying that that might have happened right there. And maybe it's just because, like, and you know, if the series had gone on for, like, 100 or 150 chapters, they probably would have had to explain it. But, like, at the place it ended, I'm kind of fine with just leaving it how it was. I think that's fair. I think, ultimately, the series didn't really have a lot it was trying to set up, so it was able to resolve in a very satisfying way that a lot of series we've covered in the past just kind of shotgun, you know, like, a year's worth of plot in three chapters. Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, aside from the sudden introduction of Rengetsu, like, yeah, I I guess it was out of place, but it wasn't, like, super out of place. It wasn't as out of place as that guy showing up at the end of Tokyo Shinobi Squad. That was crazy. Um, but it felt like it ended at a place where, like, you absolutely could continue on from here. There's more to go. But, like, it was a surprisingly satisfying ending, honestly. Yeah. And then are you guys ready to move into what could have happened? Yeah. Sure. All right. So here's my two-sentence pitch. So the series is all about family and how family isn't about blood, right? You know what series also cares about family that's not defined by blood? Oh, God. That's right. The Fast and the Furious. Oh, God. Imagine Vin Diesel is a vampire. And you know what, Jordan, it leads to? That movie Priest? (laughs) What's a mashup of vampires and cars? That's right. This is the start of the vampire cinematic universe. Oh, my God. As a backdoor pilot into Jordan's lesser known podcast about the hit 90s show that only he watched called Vampires. That's V-A-N-P-I-R-E-S. And you can listen to me and my friend Shin. I'm going to talk about it on my podcast, Mission Ignition. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I feel like I just made Jordan's entire night with this. You just made me do a shout out. Okay, whatever. That's cool. <laughs> hey, whatever. Add for my own podcast, I guess. <laughs> and then though, more seriously, I think I would play up the idea that vampires are the defenders of things that are far worse, even if they're ultimately from vampires, which might have been a cool element. And really shows why the vampires care about humans. Because they're like, oh, we're good vampires. We'll, you know, drink blood from other things. But they never say why you would be nice to humans when they're just outright terrible. Like we saw that flashback where the family is nice to humans, but they still kill them and they're their friend backstabbed them. So it'd be great to actually have an explanation of why some vampires have this philosophy despite it being really self-destructive based on what we saw. And then also I would play up the two-on-two element. As we talked about in Hungry Joker, that is really a shonen like battle system that's not used very much. It's always like a one-on-one or even in two-on-two fights they split as we saw with Mashal. So it'd be great to actually have this partnership really establish something where both members are dominant in the fight instead of one being the master and the other one taking commands, you know, like Pokemon or Digimon. I also think this series really should have gone monthly because that would have helped a lot with the meandering feeling where you're not expecting a change every single week. So as a month, I feel like my expectations would be very different in terms of how fast the plot is moving. Hmm. I do kind of feel like the way this series was going, it was building up to us meeting Alfred and there was going to be like this big reveal of like some kind of conspiracy between like a bunch of vampires or something. Oh boy, I'm screwing up something I'm going to say in in miscellaneous thoughts. Oh boy, this is this is going to make it seem really sad. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's all. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then how about you, Stephen? Oh, boy. Let's see. What could have happened? I think it needed either some kind of setting in order to like set up this conflict. Like, here's our ancient vampire method of doing battle, which is that we, you know, ride around on broomsticks and throw balls through the, the hoops um, or, you know, something <laughs> that gives it like, okay, this is the thing that you're going to do. This is this is how we're going to build this story into something more because it's really hard to square like you know teenagers in a modern japanese setting with like and then the story of the ancient vampire clans and there's a king and the you know there's dark and sinister figures lurking in the shadows and it's just hard to see where those fit together it's totally true because you're right you say ancient, like it's 16th century Europe. How did all these uh, 16th century European vampires move from Europe to Japan? You know, <laughs> like what what happened there exactly? That sounds like a really cool idea to me, though. I'd read that. Yeah, I also like how you just threw out the idea of vampire Quidditch. Yeah, you know, just give it something, something people latch onto. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Do you think you would ever, like, get involved more directly in manga creation? Like, do you think you'd ever write a series or... Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> when you're you're a translator, it's sort of like being, um like, a film editor or something like that. It's yeah. like, I don't want to be the guy coming up with the ideas. I just want to, like, sit back and refine them and, like, you know, mm -hmm. tinker with it. It's easier for me. I respect that. I used to work as an editor for a game company. So I'm with you where I was like, they were like, do you want to write articles? I was like, no, I'm, I'm fine just listening to your pitches and editing what you guys do. This is a lot easier. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Speaking of miscellaneous thoughts, why don't we move into that section? Jordan, take it away. So I just had this thought while reading the manga. Uh, are the vampires Jews? Like, what? Here's the thing. Let me break it down. They're an impressed group from uh, Europe, like the 16th century and all that. I, I guess, you know, we're, we're, we're older than that, obviously. But the thing that really stuck out to me was there was a moment where Shin is like talking about vampires and he's just like, yeah, they're about 0.2% of the population, which is the exact global population percentage of Jews. Hmm. There's an old anti-Semitic trope of saying that Jews are vampires. There's a bunch of stuff about bloodlines here. It ties in a little bit uncomfortably with some like anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. I don't think this series is anti-Semitic. Like if it is talking about the Jews, it's trying to do, as I said, like an X-Men style thing. Mm -hmm. I would rather this series kind of not be about Jews, but it just stuck out to me. So I think it's kind of important for me to bring up at least a little bit. Don't you hate it when you're just casually writing a series about vampires and you accidentally make it an allegory for the Holocaust? Ugh, happens <laughs> to me way too often. It's terrible. Ugh, yeah. Well, the Holocaust or even worse, um, an allegory for <laughs> evil Jews taking over the world, killing oh. humans. <laughs> This isn't Steven. It's like, I did not sign up for this. <laughs> I don't think that's what it is. I just had to bring it up because it was bugging me. To try to grapple with that, that possibility or the question, seriously, almost certainly the author would not have had that idea in their, their head. I mean, if you're going to do a vampire story and you're not just going to completely reinvent the context of vampires, like there's a lot of baggage that comes with that, right? That's a very good point. Yeah. The population percentage thing was a very strange statistic that I would not have expected to pop up the, uh, the similarity there. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the real reason. Uh-huh. There's a lot of times where you read stories about groups involving, like, oppression, and as a Jew, I just kind of like, oh, maybe they're talking about Jews. 
But I wouldn't have brought it up if they didn't specifically say 0.2%. That is pretty on the nose. No, but you're right. I think that that does make a lot of sense. There is just like a lot of inherent baggage uh, around a lot of European stuff. I'm definitely not saying our blood oath should be canceled. Well, it is canceled, but canceled in the Twitter sense. <laughs> oh, man. that That is, uh, it's very hard to follow up that. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're just taking all the fucking blood out. We're taking all the fucking air out of the room. Damn. <laughs> yeah, fuck, fuck off, Jordan. So I'm going to say something that has absolutely nothing to do with what Jordan just said. In that I kind of felt like this series was like a time capsule to like the early 2000s. And I feel like in a parallel universe, this was like the kind of series Okubo would have made after he made Beachy, where it's got like a similar energy and vibe. If he was inspired more by Bleach and Twilight than if he being inspired inspired by Tim Burton with the next series he made. Mm. He was also inspired by Bleach, though. Beachy came out before Bleach. True, true. Yeah, you're right. Jordan's like, scratch that from the record. Scratch that from the record. I'm never wrong. (laughs) Yeah, and then, uh... (laughs) Jordan's just kind of killed this entire section. Fuck off! Um... Yeah, I think the the part about the vampiric crystals was kind of interesting because they bring it up and it's almost like they're trying to turn it into a video game thing. You mm-hmm. know, like I noticed that a yeah. lot with a lot of manhwa, like solo leveling and stuff where it's just like, no, here's a real life video game mechanic. And then right. they had that with the crystals. There was even a moment where Alice, uh, who I want to call Biscuit because she just reminds me so much of Biscuit from Hunter Hunter. Um, She just uh, she says, oh, you're not attacking it the right way don't you know for like these creatures with horns you have to slice them both at the same time i felt like i was playing like okami they gave her like the five crystals and she upgraded his gloves or whatever it was (laughs) yeah yeah i actually had that as a positive where i like how they actually like put a focus in technique instead of being like oh it just hit them really hard you know like dragon ball z style it was only the one chapter and then uh, well never mind yeah that reminded me of steven universe where it's the same idea where spoilers for a kid show that aired 10 years ago i guess now at this point jesus christ where the monsters are actually corrupted members of the same species of the same characters and when they die they turn into crystals Mm -hmm. and they like bubble them I'm sure it's a coincidence, but it was just an interesting parallel. Another coincidence. So this series was produced and ran during COVID. And there was like one line where somebody said, uh, oh, they're about to shut everything down. I hope they shut it down soon. It just made me think, just made me like think for a second about like, hmm, was that like an influence COVID? Mm-hmm. I don't recall the the line. Yeah, I don't remember that either. I think Jordan's really getting his tinfoil hat on. (sighs) Before we continue the Jordan uh, theory hour, let's move it to the final verdict. I love you, buddy. I apologize. Let's start things off with the six-word summary. I will go first. So mine uh, has a little bit of a meta comment afterward. So hear me out before you guys groan at this one. I'm going to say a vampire manga that doesn't suck. I picked that because I wanted to do a six-word summary that feels about as original as this series. Because this is literally like the joke everyone makes about anything that's vampire-related that isn't terrible. (laughs) I can't argue with that. I guess so. (laughs) Steven, what was yours? Let's see. Let me count these words out. Um, (laughs) Vampires don't make very good bakers. 
And I say that because this one came out half baked. Ooh, nice. I like that that one. Also, don't stress the word count too much. (laughs) I always find new ways to cheat. Last episode, mine was three words. So I counted the phrase six word summary as part of it because it was so good. (laughs) And then speaking, though, of a good six word summary, Jordan, did you remember to make yours in advance? I did, asshole. I did. Ooh, Um, very proud. Yeah. uh, When in doubt, kidnap and start. (laughs) That's fairly good. It's arguably the main form of combat. (laughs) The thing is, like, I liked this series, but yeah, it was a flop. I think you can get a lot out of, like, out of a series sometimes, even if it's, like, not great. And I feel like this series had some stuff to say that was interesting, and I enjoyed Mm -hmm. reading it. But it was a flop. I'm not at all shocked it got canceled, and I probably would have canceled it, too, if I had the option. Yeah. Uh, How about you, Steven? Would you rate this a flop or not? I would say so. It was just kind of an overall under-executed series, so I don't think that any one thing could have saved it, although it may have helped prolong it a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was a nice concept. They had something good enough to turn it into a series. They just didn't have anything else to keep it going from that point onward. And then, I don't know, this might be the thing you can't answer, but would you say if you went back in time, would you have not picked to have been the translator for this? Well, you know, I have uh, I have uh, commercial reasons for wanting to do it because I, <laughs> I do true. get paid regardless of if it's good or not. <laughs> you did a good job. Well, thank you. I think I still would have, have done it. Mm-hmm. I get a little bit of a break because my my editor that I work with did not get the uh, the recent series that they started up after our blood oath ended. So I have a little bit more time on my hands to do other stuff, which is uh, not so bad after having worked on a couple of um, a couple of flops in a row. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> What were the previous, what were the other flops you're thinking of? Time Paradox kind of flamed out. It was quite spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> Samurai 8. Yes. Before that was uh, Samurai 8. It was very much artificially um, lengthened because of the the author's, um, you know, notoriety. But I don't think it would have lasted that long if it wasn't by the Naruto guy. I think that makes sense, yeah. Speaking of, my opinion of this series is I would give it a flop. I almost gave it a certified flop, but Jordan was like, reread it. And I accidentally read some chapters out of order which probably added to why i thought this series was really confusing <laughs> yeah because <laughs> somehow my thing popped up and it went four five six eight seven ten nine eleven thirteen twelve <laughs> and i was like this series makes no fucking sense dude and jordan was like what and i was like oh fuck so <laughs> i had to reread the entire series from scratch there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really matter in it but like i followed it fine i was just really surprised that that was your complaint <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so I upgraded it from certified flop to flop. And then in terms of a recommendation, I would say check out Blood Plus. This is another like early 2000s vampire series. It's got the same idea where it's about a vampire and like her human assistants, which remind me a lot. And it's just like a fun anime series. If you want to live back that kind of like adult swim early 2000s, you know, you're 15 years old, you wait for your parents to go to bed and you turn to Nami on and you're watching it at like midnight on like a Thursday night kind of feeling. Yeah, I don't know if that was too oddly specific, a time capsule of my life (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a common time capsule that's fine (laughs) and then steven what would you say people should check out instead of reading this series seraph of the end is a a vampire teens teen vampires that one is post-apocalyptic i believe it's not quite so much about going to school and having having fun times it's more about uh you know survival and um Mm -hmm. you know armies and weird things like that but um it definitely melds that concept of having a, a cast of 
of adolescents who are angsty and going through all of those horrible hormonal, uh, you know, troubles that the uh, the shonen audience, uh, you know, knows so well. And, um, you know, was much more successful at doing that than um, than our blood oath was. So I would say if, if this one didn't work, that one would probably be a better shot. That's an awesome recommendation. And how about you, Jordan? So this isn't an anime or a manga, but I would actually recommend uh, Ginger Snaps. It is a horror movie from like the early 2000s. It's instead of vampires, it's these two sisters. The older sister is just about to hit puberty and it's about werewolves. She gets turned into a werewolf. And it's actually a really good movie because you follow the younger sister who's like trying to save the older one who got turned into a werewolf. I really like the characters in it. Absolutely. Give it a watch. I definitely think it's better than our blood oath. That sounds good to me. And then finally, before we go to shout outs, Jordan, is this the worst series we have ever read? No, we've read some real trash. Yeah, our current crown, I believe, is still Tokyo Shinobi Squad, though I know you still like to make an argument over Bone Collection. Steven, I'm not sure if you're familiar with either of those series. I remember Bone Collection having like a, a really over-the-top fan service angle to it. It really does. <laughs> you're totally fine not reading it. Okay. Same with uh, Tokyo Shinobi Squad, which has a very, very strange alt-right overtone to mm. it in that immigrants are the cause of all society's problems is a legitimate background element of that manga. I would describe it as Republican Naruto. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a very good way. (laughs) And it's a great episode. We had TV's Alex Patak from um, Pod Damn America and Ballin' Out Super who gave us a really great shout out. I was going to say, it was the most interesting shout out and even their guest was like, that sounds like a great podcast. I want to be on that pod. Yeah. Even though their podcast guest watched the wrong episode of Dragon Ball Z for their podcast. So. But it was really funny, David. It was actually hilarious. Um, okay. <laughs> Are you guys ready to go to shout outs? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right. Props to Jordan for making the opening ending theme. I want to give props to Jennifer for the awesome cover art. You can find her online at Art by Toast and Nigel for being our generous art benefactor. I want to give a thanks to Tucker for assistance with pronunciation, translation, and other miscellaneous research. Be sure to check out Shonen Flop Guide and his companion series, which goes into further detail on each of the series we cover here on Shonen Flop, which comes out two days after this episode's release. In this episode's guide, he really dives into the nature of vampires of the East and West and how they differ so much from a cultural standpoint. Finally, I want to give a thank you to Miriam, Nicole, and Audie for their help with social media. And just a reminder, if you've been enjoying the show, please remember to like and share. It helps us a ton. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Shonen Flopcast and our website, shonenflop.com. We're on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcast. And then perhaps above all, though, I want to thank you, Stephen, for taking the time to be on our show today. And where can they find you oh i had a, a great time thanks guys uh you can follow me on twitter if you like uh at twitter.com slash translatosaurus <laughs> i do talk uh, very occasionally up about actual translating but for the most part it's just kind of like a personal account where i just put pictures of my cat and uh <laughs> you know make jokes and stuff so don't go in expecting too much it would take way too long to to list all of the things that I uh, work on, but um, you know, as I mentioned at the top, One Piece. Uh, most most weeks, whenever the chapters are out, you can uh, read my work there. That's awesome. 
really was so excited that we finally found a time to get to you on the show, even if it was the cost of the series getting canceled. <laughs> That's all right. And I would like to thank David for putting the podcast together and for editing it all. It's going to have a lot of fun this week. So thank you. Thank you so much for the hard work you do, David. Oh, thanks, Jordan. It's been a lot of fun. I couldn't ask for a better co-host. And then just to go into general shout outs, we have an exciting update where did you know Shonen Flop has a Discord? <gasps> Probably didn't because we didn't tell a lot of people about it. <laughs> but you can come hang out with us, talk about anime games or whatever else is on your mind. You can find the link to it in our link tree in our bio. And then I want to give a shout out to the Happy Hour podcast. If you're ready to hear some ridiculous stories in history, science and entertainment podcast you need in your life is Harpy Hour hosted by three long distance best friends join Tracy, Liz and Steph as they explore basically anything that sparks their interest and maybe yours. That's Harpy Hour podcast. So H-A-R-P-Y H-O-U-R like the mythical creature or what my Valentine used when she was playing Yu-Gi-Oh. Well they were the Harpy ladies. I guess these are some Harpy ladies too. Harpy Hour is their field spell card. (laughs) And you can find their episode every Tuesday wherever you get your podcast. My next shout out is to a podcast most foul done by friend of the show Jakey. Did you know that podcast is still going on? Apparently it's news to him too where a new episode just dropped where he's rereading his favorite childhood books and dragging his wife who has never read them along for the ride. As you might have guessed it's primarily about Artemis Fowl but it sounds like he's expanding so definitely want to check out and see what he's going on there. He's great. He was great on the show. It's, it's a great podcast. He was on our Dark Mage where we accidentally read something that wasn't a manga or shonen by accident. It was still great though. We read a manhwa by accident Stephen and we didn't realize it until we were like why is this not right to left? Uh, <laughs> These don't sound like Japanese names. What? <laughs> yeah and then I also want to give a shout out to the Fat Boys Anime Podcast. The hosts go into detail about anime battle royales, hypothetical death matches, and would you rather questions across the anime spectrum. Podcast is led by three childhood friends who have a passion for anime, trash talk, and food. Make sure this is one podcast that you put on your list. Listen to Fat Boys Anime now wherever you get your podcast. That's F-A-T-B-O-I-S. And then I'm just going to play some promos here. Hi, this is Tony, the host of the Flicked X-Raid podcast. Each week, I am joined by guests. Hey-oh. Hello. Yo. Why, hello there. Hello. And we have a roundtable discussion where we ray a bunch of our favorite films and some really terrible ones. If you want, you can follow us on all the major platforms. To find out more, you can find us online at www.flixxray.com and you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram if you want to reach out to us. Good night, internet. Have you ever been reading through a stack of comics and thought, maybe I should see what the Sarkham Asylum game is all about? Or been playing Marvel vs. Capcom and felt like you were at a real disadvantage since you didn't know who half the characters were? Well, Play Comics is the show for you. I'm Chris, and each episode we take a look at video games based on the comic properties and how well they stick to that source material. So whether you know the comics and want to know how all these games work, or you know the games and want to find out where all this craziness came from, go check out Play Comics at playcomics.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been David. This has been Jordan. And this has been Steven. And you've been listening to Shonen Flop. Keep on flopping, flopping.